Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com and ADC Media, producers of fine Catholic programming like Light of the East, and supplier of imaging, underwriting announcements, and promos for Catholic podcasts and radio stations. Inquire at ADC Media 128 at Outlook.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. As a result of some listeners' questions and requests, perhaps I may say even demands or dismay, I'm going to address here on Light of the East some of what the world is seeing and people in the church are seeing happening in Rome during the Amazon Synod. I was asked to address this by people who were concerned, people even who are dismayed that I am not addressing it, and they think that I should or that a whole church should. But one person in particular identified themselves as belonging to my particular church. I don't mean my parish. I don't know what parish they belong to, but maybe they could be in my parish. But they identified themselves as a Ruthenian Byzantine Catholic, which is what I am. I don't know who they are, and that's fine. And I'm happy to have their thoughts. And they themselves said, why isn't our entire church addressing what's happening here? Many of you probably know that during the Amazon Synod, there were some things that went on that raised a lot of questions, a lot of confusion, as we often have with Pope Francis, for better or for worse. He's always good for something. He's something like Donald Trump. He seems to throw things out to the as if, as if we're all piranhas or something, and we feed on it in one way or the other. Why he does it, I don't know, for better or for worse, but he does it. And what happened in Rome were exactly these kinds of things. There was, in particular, some rituals that were led by some Amazon people, natives of the Amazon region. I don't know if they were actually Christian or not. There seems to be a question as to whether they really are Christian or what type of Christian they are. Or if they were, as some say, de-evangelized, that they used to believe but no longer do, certainly not as Catholics do. I don't know. I really don't know where they're coming from. Maybe you know. You can let me know. But they performed a ritual. that They planted a tree in the Vatican Gardens, and they also then performed a ritual there and in other places, too, where they took a statue, a wooden statue, 
that was a statue of a pregnant woman, looked like a pregnant Indian woman in the stylized version. And the figure was put in front of people, and they had some kind of prayer or ritual to it, and they actually bowed down, even prostrated to it, and the Pope bowed as well. And we don't know what that figure was. Again, it's controversial whether it was a symbol of the Virgin Mary, it was just a symbol of earth, of life, of womanhood that gives life, but it was definitely a fertility symbol, the kind we often see from art of primitive cultures and ancient cultures, pagan cultures. And we don't know if that's what it was. It was some form of the Virgin Mary or just a mother goddess. But the the name that is being used to refer to the statue is Pacamama. And several versions of the Pacamama were in a church nearby St. Peter's. It's also been in St. Peter's, but also in a church near St. Peter's in Rome. And somebody walked in there and they filmed themselves doing it, except for their face. They filmed themselves just casually walking in late at night into this church. And it was just a very casual kind of effort. And they picked up these wooden statues of Pacamama, these fertility statues from the Amazon. And they casually just walked out with them, holding them in their arms like they're carrying baby dolls. They put them on top of the bridge over the Tiber River, one of the bridges, and they ceremoniously knocked each one of them into the Tiber River. And this was all on film. Naturally, the Vatican was all up in arms about it and so on. Many people cheered this on. But anyway, this is part of what's happening. There's a lot of other things happening in the Amazon Synod, too. Pushes for married priests, for women priests, an emphasis on the environment, and also on other issues that we don't normally see is as having such a primary focus in the church, certainly not with the previous pope. Sure, all the popes were concerned about the environment, about nature, about God's order of creation. But their primary focus, as it should be, is the human person and our morality, because from that will come all the other solutions, too. If you have the human person individually going right in terms of their sacramental worldview and how they live according to that, then that will emanate outward towards the more global issues. At the Amazon Synod, and under our current pope, there seems to be a kind of reversal of that. Their priority seems to be the ecology and global issues, immigration, ecology, and so on, and less on the individual person. Not that there isn't anything on the individual person, but there's less of it. So all these things are coming together, and they certainly came together in Amazon Synod, and it has people very disturbed and very much up in arms. And because I was asked to talk about it, and there's mounting requests for that, I will address that. I will address this whole thing through the light of the East. First of all, this is an issue about evangelization. Now, the Pope is very concerned about evangelizing or re-evangelizing these tribes that are in the Amazon region, which he believes are having a tough time being evangelized because there aren't enough priests that can get to them. That's why there's consideration of women priests, married priests, deacons, etc. at this Amazon synod. Again, it's just a synod. It's not a magisterial lawmaking body. But it can certainly create enough of an impetus in different directions and create enough stir and confusion. So evangelization, and as an Eastern Catholic, we do have something to say about that. Because the Eastern Catholic churches, and if you go back all the way to the beginning of the Eastern churches, evangelization was very, very much a part of the gift and the existence of the Eastern Catholic churches. They have their own particular strength in doing it, a strength that is different than the Latin Rite. The Latin Rite has a different kind of strength to it, a very, very effective and powerful strength to it. But the evangelization that is characteristic of the Eastern churches is worth looking at. 
Because if we take a very, very benign interpretation, or at least a very, very benign caution, a caution to err on the side of benign explanations to what the Pope is up to, we could say that when we evangelize, we go into a culture, you know, the Christians go into a culture, and they are to respect the culture and show that they respect it. And they are also to use or can use many of the expressions, the customs of that culture. But to do that in a way in which the culture is evangelized, is brought to Christ, and the culture forms around the reality of the person of Jesus Christ, around the gospel, around a God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and how we live according to that, using the customs of that particular culture. See, that's how the church is supposed to evangelize, and that's how evangelization happened, especially in the East. And in fact, Another reason why it's very significant for the Eastern churches to be looked at at this point, and hopefully the Pope is, is that going back to the ninth century, the Eastern churches, all the way back in the ninth century, allowed and promoted the liturgy, you know, the Mass, the Eucharist, the prayer of the church, the scriptures, to be read and prayed in the vernacular language of the people. Most notable among that effort was the Saints Cyril Methodius, two brothers who evangelized the church that I belong to, the Slavic churches, the Ruthenian churches, proud to say. And in fact, St. John Paul II, rightly so and wisely so, made St. Cyril Methodius co-patrons of Europe, along with St. Benedict, who has already made the patron of Europe. So Benedict, Basil, and Cyril. Interesting that all three were monastics. What does that tell you about what John Paul II said, that monasticism is a reference point for all the baptized? So the patron, the patrons of Europe are three monastics. Well, Cyril Methodius brought the gospel to the Slavic people. And this is the area now from Bulgaria, Macedonia, Serbia, up into Slovakia, Ukraine, and the area now known as Hungary, Romania. That area was evangelized by Cyril Methodius and then their disciples later on. And what they did was they saw that the Slavic people had a language, but they did not have a written language. So being Greek-speaking and having some Slavic background in them, or at least familiarity with the Slavs, Sir Methodius developed from the Greek, from their own Greek language, an alphabet for the Slavic people, which we know as the Glagolithic alphabet or the Cyrillic alphabet after St. Cyril. He was a great linguist. And they took Greek letters and modified them to what we know today as something like an ancient Russian. Looks a little bit like Russian. And they composed an alphabet and a written form of the Slavic language. And they translated all the sacred scriptures and the liturgical text into that language so the people could worship in their language. And they were called on the carpet for it, especially by the German Latin Rite missionaries at the time. They had appeared before the Pope twice. In fact, they, they were even put in jail by these German missionaries. They're considered heretics, put in jail. And they defended themselves successfully. And Pope John VIII and Pope Adrian II both said that what Sir Methodius was doing was, was good. It's okay for the people to worship in their own language. And that was back in the ninth century. It was only in the 1960s that the Latin Rite allowed the Mass to be prayed in another language other than Latin. Yes, the 1960s. Imagine how much longer that was after St. Sir Methodius. So you see how the Eastern churches were way ahead on this. So there is something to be said by the Eastern churches on this whole issue of how we evangelize. But we have to remember, their evangelization, what they did, should not be looked at today as a justification for any aspect of 
incorrect or so-called progressive or liberal agenda. Sometimes that's what happens, especially when it comes to the custom of having married priests, as the Eastern churches do, many of the Eastern churches do. It's sometimes commandeered and used as a justification as part of an entire liberal agenda, along with women priests and so on. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk more about how to evangelize by means of looking at the Eastern churches and applying that to what may or may not be happening in Rome these days. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. I'm Father Thomas Loya inviting you to join the 2020 Theology of the Body Institute on the ultimate pilgrimage, walking and praying in the footsteps of Jesus. Join myself, Christopher West, Father Justin Brady, Jason Clark, and the TOB team as we visit Jerusalem, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, the Via Della Rosa, Bethlehem, and more. The 2020 TLB Institute's Holy Land Pilgrimage, Saturday, February 15th through Tuesday, February 25th, 2020, with an optional extension to Jordan, February 25th through the 27th. While you're on the 2020 TLB Pilgrimage, you'll have first-class hotel accommodations, air-conditioned tour buses, breakfast, and daily dinner, plus special meals, daily formation with Christopher West and chaplains. For complete information and registration for the 2020 TLB Institute's Holy Land Pilgrimage, Visit TOBPilgrimages.com. That's TOBPilgrimages.com. Or call 1-800-842-4842. Reserve now. This is Bishop Christopher Coyne for OLPH Radio in Burlington, Vermont, and you're listening to Light of the East. What is the Byzantine Catholic faith? and its spirituality. Would you like to learn about the art of bringing others to Christ and learn about unlocking the mystery of the faith by taking an introduction to Eastern Christian Bible study? Your gateway to learn more about these and other topics and experience the richness of the Byzantine Church is as close as your digital device. Visit God With Us Online, which offers free live webinars. Registration is easy. All you have to do is register at easterncatholic.org forward slash events. That's easterncatholic.org forward slash events. Your Byzantine Catholic faith will grow as you experience these free live webinars, which will give you greater insights about the varied and rich aspects of the faith. Visit easterncatholic.org forward slash events. God With Us is an outreach project of the Eparchial Directors of Religious Education and the Eastern Catholic Associates and is dedicated to the catechetical renewal of Eastern Catholics in the United States in accord with the Church's call for a new evangelization. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyal, your host. You have been hearing about our trip to the Holy Land, in which I will be a spiritual director, one of the spiritual directors. I'd like to encourage you to consider that, and we're going to bring our own Eastern input, our own Eastern touch and history and background to this pilgrimage. Because, you know, in the Holy Lands, we can actually thank the Byzantines, one of the parts of the Eastern lung of the church, for a lot of the original Holy Land sites 
A lot of the biblical sites were preserved by the Byzantines, especially St. Helena and Constantine, the head of the Byzantine Empire. Constantine was the emperor, and his mother Helena went and took the initiative in the Holy Lands to find things like the real cross, the true cross, and the areas where a lot of the biblical events took place, and they would build churches over them. So the Byzantines are, are a, real, a real gift to biblical archaeology and biblical scholarship. So that's one of the reasons I'm going, because I'm Byzantine. And again, that Holy Land trip is Tuesday to Saturday, February 15th to the 25th, 2020. February 15th to the 25th. That's a Tuesday to Saturday on the year 2020. And you can find out about it and join us by going to tobpilgrimages.com. tobpilgrimages.com. We're looking at evangelization in light of what's happening in Rome, a lot of the questions people have, even some of the outrage, because it seems like something heretical is happening there. Notice I'm not making a judgment on it. That's not my point right now. I have my own thoughts, my own eyebrows raised, my own vigilance, my own antennas up, but I'm not making a judgment, certainly at least not on the radio program. But I am trying to address some of your concerns by looking at evangelization from the Eastern point of view. And one of the things I mentioned, a couple of things I mentioned, was that the Eastern style is to go into a culture, respect that culture, and use the aspects of that culture, not to, not to have the culture form or determine the church. So that's a difference. And that's, I think, is what is frightening people right now. It seems like there's a message coming from Rome, from the Amazon Synod, that these primitive tribes whether evangelized, disevangelized, or unevangelized, have something that we don't know, that they're smarter than we are. They, they've got it, and we don't, and we need to listen to them. I think that's part of what the anxiousness and the anxiety is about what's happening in the synod. Certainly, that message does seem to be coming through. Whether that's the actual message or not, I don't know, but it does seem that way, and a lot of people are anxious about it, understandably so. But the Eastern churches would go into an area, into culture, respect that culture, and use aspects of that culture, and they would bring some of their own culture with them, such as the Greek culture. When Sir Methodius went and evangelized the Slavs, they utilized some of the Slavic spirituality, some of the Slavic charism, the Slavic soul, their customs and languages and so on, but they also brought some of their own Greek style as well. So culture was respected and used, but as a means to have a people's connect with Christ— in John's Gospel, in the first chapter, it says that he dwelt among us. Now, the literal translation is he pitched his tent among us, like, like God just came down and, okay, I'm going to live with you guys. I'm going to be part of you. In fact, he did. He became, here the invisible God became part of us. He became what he was not and remained who he was, and particularly he became a Jew. He chose a particular ethnicity. He just didn't come down as God, I'm going to be for every man. He started with one group of the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. And from there, Christ, who is the second person of Trinity, he is divine and human, incarnated himself among the Jewish people, among his own creation. And from that, he was able to evangelize them. Maybe that's what the Pope is trying to do. Maybe it's an extreme form, a naive form, or whatever. I'm just trying to pick our way through this whole thing about how to evangelize, to what extent does culture play a part? And we're looking at the Eastern churches for some guidance there. So culture did play a part, but not, not to form Christianity the other way around. Culture would be formed around Christianity, not Christianity formed by a culture. But Christianity would use the aspects of that culture. And also, 
the form of evangelization was one that was to bring a peoples and what they had to a greater level, greater perfection. In other words, they just wouldn't respect the culture and leave people as they were, especially when they were worshiping false gods or having infant sacrifices and things like that. They wouldn't just say, oh, this is part of their culture, so we're going to allow that and use that. And maybe they can teach us something. No, it was to bring Christ to a culture that needed Christ, that needed to move beyond some of the so-called customs. So not every custom, not every aspect of a culture was enshrined or Christianized or used to alter, dilute, or in any way deform the Christian message, the gospel. It was the other way around. Culture was respected, but in a way as to bring it to its the best version of itself, bring it to Christianity. Now, what's happening right now in Rome seems to be the opposite. Again, I don't know, but these are the concerns, and I'm just trying to address them by at least talking about what real evangelization is and allowing for the possibility, the remote possibility, and although some of you may think I'm being naive or ridiculous at, at this point, but we must always hold out to the very end before pronouncing a very terrible verdict that the Pope is in heresy. But we must hold out that maybe that's what the Pope is trying to do. We just don't understand that because we're not used to seeing that kind of evangelization. You see, how much do we really know? How much experience do we have with peoples who, and it's hard to imagine this day and age, who are not evangelized? It's hard to believe that the gospel message still hasn't reached everybody. They may have heard about it remotely, or maybe they had it for a while, but it's superficially, or it died away, or it got taken away, whatever. It's like the parable of the sower, the seeds. You know, some seeds fell on rock, some on dry ground, and so on. So it's hard for us to imagine, and the Pope has known from South America, these peoples who are not evangelized, whether that's from being de-evangelized or whatever. So he's looking at them and saying, okay, how do we relate to them? How do we connect with them? How do we pitch our tent among them? I used to say to, especially to clergy, let the smell of your sheep be on you, you know, be that close to them and so on. Maybe all this is what the Pope's trying to do. We're just not used to seeing it. He's doing it maybe, perhaps, maybe even in a naive way, maybe even an extreme way. And yes, maybe, because some of you at this point are probably saying, oh, come on, Father Tom, maybe, maybe. He is not in accord with church teaching. I'm not saying he is. I don't know the answer yet. Do we have reason to be on our toes, raise our eyebrows, and be vigilant? Yes. I mean, I am too. But that means we keep our radars up. We keep our antennas up and see what is really going on here. And the reason I give you the experience of the Eastern churches, the particular evangelization of the Eastern churches, because it could be a good reference point, a good baseline to compare things to. Because let's face it, many of you listening, many people out there aren't that familiar with the Eastern churches and even the history of how they evangelize. You probably didn't realize that the Eastern churches have been doing liturgy in the vernacular since the ninth century. And there's nothing liberal, progressive about that at all. So many people don't really know the riches of the Eastern churches, and in particular, when it comes to evangelizing and how they did it. Maybe that's what's needed here. Maybe that's a reference point. Maybe maybe the Pope is looking at that and trying that, but in an awkward way, at least what would appear to us to be an awkward way, or in a way that really comes to the edge of things. Is it spilling over the edge? I don't know. Again, I'm not here to render a verdict. 
and this I have my own thoughts and feelings on it, but that's not what is important. What's important is that we keep being vigilant as the prayers in the Eucharistic part of the prayer, the liturgy in the Byzantine Church call us to do. It asks the Lord to make these gifts of the Eucharist for us a spirit of vigilance. And that's what spirituality is, really. It's about keeping on our toes constantly, keeping alive, keeping awake, being children of light, as we say in the Eastern churches. We love light, 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 light. Being awake, being alive, full of light, transfiguring. These are the favorites among Eastern churches. And that's what we're still supposed to be all the time. It's so easy and sometimes so quickly final to go to the darkness and to render dark, negative verdicts on things. And it may be warranted. But we're called, really, to hold out to the last hope of what might be the light. We may not see it. Maybe it's only a crack in the door. We don't see it that brightly, but it might be. We were asked to hold out for that, to be open to that. And if you think that we are in a time where the Pope really is in heresy, okay, that's what you can think, and that remains to be seen. I'm not saying it's true or not true. I'm just offering some kind of baseline or standard to pick our way through this thing, because it is puzzling. It seems rather unprecedented in the Church, and, you know, Pope Francis is... To paraphrase a famous line from the movie Forrest Gump, Pope Francis, this is like a box of chocolates. You never really know what you're going to get, but it's always going to be something unique. I want to thank you for listening. Take heart. Keep up your hope. Pray for vigilance and fortitude and above all charity. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Monsignor Charles Pope. And I always say to my my people, my parishioners, for you I'm your pastor, with you I'm your brother, but from you I'm your son because they have formed me so beautifully over the years and taught me to trust God and to praise God. And they brought the Holy Spirit alive in me in just ways I could never have imagined, you know, coming out of seminary. I had all the intellectual stuff in the seminary, but my priestly heart has been formed by my people. Morning Glory, Monday through Saturday, 7 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.